Welcome. You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Be sure to follow us on our social media channels. You can find The Sanctuary Jupiter on all major social media platforms. Thanks for listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. So I want to set the scene for a second. If you are familiar with this story, it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible um, and probably one of the most unbelievable because there's a miracle involved. Something miraculous happens, something supernatural. Jesus is walking on water in all of humanity. There's only two people that have been recorded walking on water. It's Jesus and Peter, the two people in this story. Um, In all of human history, there's no other account of anybody walking on water. Although some of us, we've tried, right? You used to try like when you'd run off the edge of the swimming pool and you try to take like at least one step, but it didn't work. And if it did, raise your hand, we'll we'll add it to the amount of people who have done this. but the context of this story is important. As always, like I'm telling is always emphasizing context, context, context. We don't want to just take a story out of the Bible and just look at it alone, standing alone. Context is always so important. And this story, like I said, is mentioned in three of the Gospels. And so, but Matthew's account is a little different, but just subtly different. Um, but I want you to know the backstory. So right before this, right before this night, this moment... Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And if you know that story, there were four um, loaves of bread and two fishes, and Jesus ends up feeding 5,000 people with that. Now, we're all about to have Thanksgiving, and whatever Jesus did to make that happen, I have wished that we could do at Thanksgiving sometimes. Because with my family, I don't know about your family, but I have a really large Texas family. And so every Thanksgiving was, um, it, it looked like we were feeding 5,000, although we weren't. Um, we were only feeding about 50. But um, there are times when I would like whatever we have to be multiplied. So it's always enough. You want to have leftovers like they did in this story. Um, so they had just, that had just happened. This miracle had just happened. And right before that happened, Uh, we, like a couple, let's see, chapter eight, we're in chapter 14 and in chapter eight of Matthew, the disciples were on the boat and there was a storm and Jesus was on the boat with them and a big storm comes up and they're terrified and they're trying to wake Jesus up and he wakes up and he's like, why are you all doubting? Like, I got you simmer down wind, simmer down waves and there's peace in the boat. So that had happened. Um, Jesus's cousin, John. John the Baptist, he had been beheaded. Um, uh, Herod uh, was raging against God's people. There was um, so much going on around Jesus and so much going on with his people. His people were being persecuted. And Jesus actually was going to go get away, to go be alone, and the crowd followed him. And so then he had to feed them all because they all followed him. He's like, here I am. I was coming here to be alone and talk to God and talk to my father. And here you guys are. Okay. But he had compassion on them. And so he fed them. And the disciples were like, how are we going to do that? We don't have any food. You know, here's the disciples that have been walking with Jesus, seeing him do all of these amazing things. And here they are still like, how are you going to do this one? And Jesus does it again. And so he feeds the multitudes, and they're, they're pre- it says they're pressing up against him, pressing up against Jesus, because they really wanted to force him into being the king that they needed to overcome the Roman Empire. 
That's the kind of savior they believed they needed. They felt like they needed a political savior, somebody to save them from the politics and the government that was around them, that was oppressing them. And so Jesus was like, look, guys, disciples, you get in the boat, go back to the other side, go. He, he didn't ask them to go. He didn't ask them if they wanted to go. He commanded them to get in the boat and go. The end. So they did. It says immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And in each of the accounts, it's used, the word immediately is used in all of the accounts. A form of that word is used because he just sent them away. And then he sent the crowds away and he went up the mountain and he spent time with God. So he didn't need a little, a little mental break. <laughs> um, and there's only a few times in the Bible that it shows that he did this, um, which is in one way, a reminder to all of us that we need to take, especially those who are workaholics um, and doaholics and like do all the things, um, that we need to take time to just spend away in quiet and in solitude. Chris is saying that that's him, so he needs to do that. He's a workaholic, and I know he is. I know you are. Um, so this is what God, uh, Jesus did. He went and spoke with God. And the disciples row out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, interestingly, um, I'm always like looking at the details of stories, like to go, do I not know about this? And the Sea of Galilee is actually the lowest freshwater, freshwater body of water on the earth. The only thing lower than it is the Dead Sea, and it's salt water. But as far as fresh water goes, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest, like below sea level. It's the lowest place um, of a body of water, which is very interesting because this was like, uh, um, in the Old Testament, water was always uh, associated with chaos, uncertainty, and darkness. It was always this barrier, like to cross. There was always chaos, darkness, uncertainty, death was associated with water in the Old Testament specifically. And even in the Old Testament, we see God reigning over the water. He splits the Red Sea for his people to pass in exile. He calms the seas. There's tons of references of God and his power over the the water in the Old Testament. So this is true, too, in the New Testament. We already saw that, like I said, in Matthew 8, where Jesus calms the storm when he's on the boat with his disciples. But now this is different this is, um, they're on the boat by themselves. And it says, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Now, um, in all of the accounts, especially in, in the original language, in the Greek language, um, the hour was like 3 a.m., between like 3 and 6 a.m. It's the fourth watch, which is the darkest part of the night, um, you know, the loneliest part of the night, um, kind of in, in a scary time. If you're on a boat at night and there's a wind against you, the sea is churning, there's, um, this is not smooth sailing at this point. This is something that um, even though that they are uh, professional fishermen, they're used to, you know, this specific sea. This is not a place they haven't sailed before. And in this story, unlike the other story when they're on the boat, they were scared. They were scared in the storm in the, on the other, in the other story. But in this story, they're not scared of the wind and the waves, but they've been rowing. 
they've, they've had their oars and they've been rowing because they can't use their sails in this storm. And it was common that this area would have these storms because it had mountains. Uh, where it was, like I said, it's like the lowest below sea level. So warm air, cold air would collide and it would cause this, this wind that was, um, I forget what the word is that they called it, in those times, there's a, a word for it that, that actually means shark, but it's like sharkia, like that kind of wind, and it was like a shark. It was like a, an attacking, looming, coming at you, deathly wind. And this is the wind that was against them. And they're just rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere. And they're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And this is only 13 miles wide no 13 miles long eight miles wide it's like 33 miles in circumference it's not a huge lake but i mean if you're four miles out and you're just in the middle of the lake it's that's that's hard rowing when you're not going anywhere and it's dark it's not like they had um lights like we do on the shore they, they didn't have beacons and gps and all of these things that we have they're out in the middle and they're tired and they're rowing and they're exhausted. Um, and then all of a sudden, they see something that actually frightens them. They think it's a phantom because even in biblical times, especially in this time, the only things that showed up on like the sea were ghosts or uh, other gods besides the God that we serve. And so it scared them. It terrified them. In all of the three accounts, it was terrifying to them to see this figure on this tumultuous sea in the middle of their exhaustion. And so they see this figure, and uh, he immediately says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And in the original language where he says it is I, like we're saying it so it's easy for us to understand, but this is one of the seven times in the entire Bible that Jesus uses the name I am. He evokes the name of Yahweh of the Old Testament. He evokes, like, it's not just, hey, it's me, guys. I am is here. Don't be afraid. Take heart. I am. He has said, God said this in the Old Testament. Jesus says it in the New Testament. So he's evoking the name of God. And already people were like, you know, questioning him, like, this guy is saying he's God. but he's So even the disciples have not called him God yet at this point in the Bible, in their friendship with Jesus. When they were in the boat with him before and the storm came and he calmed the storm, they, what they did, they didn't say, you are God because you calmed the waves and the, the wind. He, they didn't say that. They said, who is this man that the waves and wind listen to? That was how that chapter ended. Who is this man that the waves and wind listen to? So in this one, he's saying, he's telling them, I'm walking on the water, and I am. That's who I am. I am, I am. That's what he says. Ego a me. That's in the original language. I am. And so he says, take courage. And what happens next? Well, you know, we all like to focus on this part, and I'm sure if you've heard this sermon uh, or a sermon about this story, uh, it, it was really focused on Peter more so than Jesus. Because then, after God's, or after Jesus says that, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter has quite the reputation of being um, pretty uh, aggressive, 
and impulsive and like, oh, so if it's you, I'm coming. Like, call me to come to you. Like, he's pretty, like, jump in the water first kind of person. That's just his nature. Um, I know somebody like him, but I can't place who it is. It'll come to me. It's just, it's just regardless. Um, <laughs> um, but Peter, Peter, all Jesus says is come. Like, he tells him, do it. And so Peter, as we know, gets out, he steps out, and he starts, he takes a few steps, and it says, this is like what stands out to me the most, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. But I just want to stop there at the wind, because this story could be related to a lot of different things. It's a picture of a lot of different things for us. Um, it's not a picture, however, of Peter's strength. It's not a picture of, like, be like Peter. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. How many of you have heard that story, that way of it? If you want to, um, you know, do this or do that, you've got to get out of the boat. You've got to have faith like Peter. Well, when it says right here, Lord, if it's you... He's already showing that he has some doubt. <laughs> um, that's not real faithful, because if he was really faithful, he would have just jumped out of the boat and ran to Jesus. And that would have happened because there would have been no hesitation in his faith. There was hesitation in his faith. And he is like us. We, we are like Peter, but not in the way that it's usually told to us. Like, be like Peter. Have your faith. Have courage. Take courage. Get out of the boat. Overcome your fears. And Jesus didn't look at him when he started sinking and say, you know what? You need to swim harder. You need to have more faith. If you had more faith, you wouldn't be sinking right now. I'm right here. Do it. Believe, believe, believe. Like, save yourself. Jesus didn't say that. So when you think about Peter and the ability for him to get out of the boat, it was the faith that God gave him to even have the question, which was full of also his doubt, which is us, our fickle nature. We believe and we don't believe. That's exactly what he, Peter showed right here. He believed and he didn't believe. And the only thing that, ha everything that happens in this story is something that G Jesus himself says to happen. Jesus says for them to get in the boat. Jesus says for Peter to come, to come out of the water. Jesus speaks to the wind. Jesus speaks to the wave. Like Jesus is saying all of the things. It is the power of his voice, of his word that makes anything happen. Not the power of Peter's faith or anything to do with Peter. It has nothing to do with Peter. And so all of them, if you just take an account that these disciples have been witnessing miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus is healing people. He's feeding people. He already calmed the storm. While they were on the boat, he, they've seen all of this stuff. And they're still all in this boat, and they're terrified, which makes sense that they see this figure. And then Jesus is like, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now, how many of you in this very moment have a wind against you? How many of you? Like, this is such a picture of our life, especially of our Christian life. Like, we're in this boat. There's always a, there are lots of boats in the Bible. They're always a vessel from, to get you from one place to another place. And this one in particular was between two shores. And, and that is part of our journey here as Christians. This is representative not just of this moment in time, but of our whole lives. 
God himself, through the person of Jesus, is getting us from this shore to this shore. And he's in all of it with us. He's in all of the storms. He's, he's there when it's smooth sailing, and he's there when the winds come against us. What does that feel like? What does a wind against you feel like that makes you terrified, that makes you afraid? Even though Peter believed in Jesus, he also didn't in that moment because he saw the wind. He saw those outside circumstances. He saw those, that inner turmoil that torments him. He saw that addiction. He can't, I, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. Dang, he can't forgive me for that. I can't overcome this thing. I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm, I feel safe and secure, but ugh, that relationship that, that's not healed, that relationship that is so hard all the time. We see, we look at those things. And that's been part of like the teaching of this passage. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Even the wind, the wind and the waves are against you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That is great in theory. That's a good thing to tell people because it's true. Keeping our eyes on Jesus does help us to a degree. But is it easy to keep your eyes on Jesus when the wind is against you? Whatever your wind is today, in this moment, this morning, Right before I left to come here, Daniel texted me. Daniel's in our, our um, sound booth, and he does all of our online stuff. And Shane is our, our, our sound tech. Like, he does all the sound and the mics and the things with that. I don't know all that stuff that they do. You know, all the, all the buttons and the, the, where we can talk and sing and make music and be out there in video land. And um, Daniel texted me and said, Shane is stranded four hours away. And he's like the only person that can do all that stuff. And so he said, but we have Gary, we have this person, that person, that person. And I was like, and I really didn't feel any anxiety at that point. Well, then I, (laughs) the wind was not against me yet. It was against them, but I wasn't feeling it yet. And so then when I got here and I put, I came back, I put on the headset, we have two headsets and this is all relevant and irrelevant to you, but, (laughs) but I put on the headset because normally whoever's speaking uses a headset because this is harder for me and for telling, but, um, so put on the headset, the headset didn't work. And we couldn't use the normal headset that I would use that I just used last Saturday to do a memorial service that worked fine. And then today, neither of them work. Why? We don't know. It's a mystery. The wind is against us. And so then (laughs) Trey has beautiful Monique and Hannah up here. And I don't even know our bass player's name. Nick. Nick was here for the first time. So this is all the wind is against us, people. The wind is against us this morning. And so um, that's why Monique and I are sharing a mic this morning, and I'm having handheld instead of um, what we normally do. So all of this, I was like, I mean, this is literally the story, and in, in the mildest way. I mean, we're not going to, nothing, this is not changing anybody's life that, that these things have happened this morning. It's no big deal. But there are things that are happening in your life right now. There is wind against you that is threatening your life. It is drowning you. It is hurting. It is exhausting you. It is tormenting you. In 
um, Mark, the, the word, the original word that was in the original text about the wind was a tormenting wind. It was like a spiritual force against the disciples. It was a, like, a, like a tormenting. That's what we're having. That's what we have. All of life is that. We don't always feel it, but it's always around us. That's because we're broken people living in a broken world, and everything around us is broken in every way, every kind of relationship, professional or personal. Everything is tainted. Everything is broken. Everything can be a tormenting wind at any given moment. I was talking to Tullian last night and talking to him about the um, just the list right now of people that we know personally, of the things that they're going through, um, relationally, emotionally, professionally, businesses failing, people losing jobs, people facing homelessness. Um, A person who just experienced a significant death is now facing the death of another significant person in their life. Um, People who are, whose children are just multiple children in one family are facing things that are horrific. There's just stuff all the time. There is a wind against all of us all the time. And you may or may not feel it right now, which is like the moment that you can help somebody else in their own um, time of need. But in this moment, when when it says Peter gets out and goes out to Jesus... Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I mean, the fact that he took a few steps is, I mean, I'm sure boisterous Peter, as boisterous as he is, like, since it's only in Matthew, I, like, feel like the other ones were like, you know what, we're tired of talking about it, Peter. I'm not putting it in my account. I'm not going to put it in my, my, when I tell the story again, I'm not putting that part in there. Because it's not. It's not in the other ones. It doesn't talk about Peter walking on the water. It talks about Jesus walking on the water, but it doesn't talk about Peter walking on the water in the other ones. And some, of, some part of me does feel like, because I, I, I could be like that. I could be like Peter or the other disciples. Like, you know what? Okay, yes, you did. You also were drowning, right? Yeah, right, you did. You took a few steps. That was Jesus, but then you were drowning. Like, you, you couldn't do it. But whatever. So, um, Peter... <laughs> So, so when Peter, when it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Now he didn't say, Lord, help me. Lord, throw me a raft. Lord, like, let me try to grab onto you. He said, Lord, save me. There's this story that I've heard several preachers talk about when talking about this particular um, instance in the gospel, gospels. Um, And it goes something like this. Like if we were out on a boat today in modern times and um, Ray is sitting on the back (laughs) and he falls out and um, he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm drowning because it's like a choppy day. Winds, you know, blowing. Waves are overcoming him. And um, somebody's like, here, and throws him, you know, a, a, a lifesaver. And Ray grabs onto it. He, we all pull him back up in the boat. And he's like, man, 
Did you guys see how I grabbed that life raft? Did you see my biceps flex? Did you see how I mustered up the strength to get myself safe and in the boat? That's not what we do. And even though that's like a great example of like someone that thinks they've saved themselves, that's not really how the story goes. Jesus didn't throw him something for him to grab onto. It's better than that. It says he reached down and pulled him up. Jesus did all of it from beginning to end. He, God gave him the faith to get out of the boat in the first place. God gave him the miraculous ability to walk on water. The only thing Peter did was contribute to his drowning, <laughs> which is what we do. The only thing that makes our saving necessary is the sin that we contribute as humans. This is the truth. We contribute to our drowning, to our demise, as strong as we may think we are at times. And as strong as we may be because of God and his strength within us, which was what Peter had in any moment that strength was shown. But when he, when he gets saved, not just helped, he is saved from death itself. Jesus does it. He does not save himself, nor do we. But how many of us as Christians are always trying to save ourselves? We have all of these self-salvation projects, all of these, these glorious thoughts of how we can do it. God is our co-pilot. Jesus, take the wheel. No, Jesus Take the whole thing, take the whole car, like be the car, take the wheel, take the front seat, take the back seat, be the tires, be all of it. Jesus be the gasoline, Jesus be all of it. We don't need Jesus just St. Carrie. I mean, I love Carrie Underwood, but I'm like, we needed him to do more than just take the wheel. We needed him to take all of it. We need saving. We don't just need help. We need saving from death itself. Right? This is what we need. We don't just need help with our sin problem. We don't just need help with a little forgiveness. We need saving from our sin. And this is what Jesus did. He reached down into our world, this broken, messy place that he didn't have to come, this tumultuous, raging, wind-against-us, tossing, tussled, messed up, chaotic, dark place, he reached down and pulled us out. This is the picture in this whole entire story. And this is not a parable. This is an actual account of Jesus with his disciples. And you think about us here now, we have this to look back to. We have all of these accounts to look back to in the Bible. We did get to experience them for real, but they did. And even these dudes, these guys, these disciples, these hand-picked chosen people by God that were jacked up, jacked up all kinds of ways, they didn't even believe. They, their faith was faulty. And we don't ever want to hold them up as like, they're the, they're the thing that we need to be. No, we are them. I assure you, we are them. We are faulty, we are failing, we are drowning, and we need saving. Even Peter later, after, after this whole account, 
if you recall, and if you don't, I will just help you with the rest of the story. When Peter, <laughs> Peter later, after Jesus is crucified, when all of this is going on, all of the stuff Jesus is saying, it's coming, it's going to happen, guys. And what does Peter do? He, deny, he denies Jesus. He denies even knowing him. Bro, I just pulled you out of death. <laughs> Remember me on the water, walking on the water? You don't know me? Peter denied him again after this, three times. So this, this was not like a testament to Peter's faith, and then it carried on. I'm not saying it didn't make a difference to him, because every time I've had an encounter with Jesus, with God doing something miraculous in my life, it encourages me in my faith for a moment. But that doesn't mean I don't go back, and I'm like, oh, I don't really trust God for this, or that answer, or for him to help this thing, or fix this, or save me. Let me do it myself. Let me show how good I can be at this or do this thing. If, this, if I get this right, then I'll be okay with God. I'm already okay with God because Jesus saved me. This is the thing that, that is true here. It's Jesus doing the work, Jesus speaking what needs to happen and doing what needs to happen. We're just in the boat, <laughs> and he's going to get us from one shore to the other. There's this beautiful um, um, Greek word, which if I had my Greek friends up here, they could probably pronounce it. We have, some, we have a Greek family in our, our midst, in our, our church family. Um, but there's, when he says, when Jesus gets, gets to Peter and, and they get back in the boat, they climb back in the boat and the wind dies down. But right before that, when Jesus takes him up and, and saves him, he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That phrase, you of little faith, in the original language is just one word. And it's a playful nickname, like a father would use for a very young child. It literally means little faith. Like a toddler who falls down and needs to be lifted up by his father. So Peter was a toddler in his faith. So are we. So are we. No matter how mature we think we have become, and in some ways that, that is evident in our lives or in certain circumstances, but we're, we never graduate. We never graduate from being a toddler in our faith. We never trust enough. We never have faith enough. We're, we're never in not, in, in not in need of the faithfulness of Jesus of what he has done to save us. We're never not in need of that. We're never um, far from drowning. We're never far from that, God, save me. Lord, save me in this moment. Save me in this freaking argument that I'm having that's ridiculous. Save me. Why do I have to be this way? Save save me, God, in this, this business that's failing. Save me in my personal life that is wrapped with dysfunction and upheaval and all kinds of addiction and abuse and neglect and all of these things that I have no control over. Save me, God. Save the people that I love. Save me. This is, this is our heart's cry. We need help in the, in the biggest way because we need saving. We don't just need help. We need saving. We need rescue, ultimate rescue. That's what we need, and that's what we see here. Because um, a lot of people like to talk about the whole you of little faith as something that is a rebuke. 
And if you look at it in the, the original language, you have little faith. Like, it literally means like, and I could see thinking of Jesus's countenance, his personality, the way he is, love incarnate. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I got you. That's one of the most beautiful things that I think is a part of this whole in, entire story. Um, I love this. And I'm going to try not to cry while I read it. But um, Jesus' answer to Peter's plea, Lord, save me, is only temporarily answered by his strong hand lifting Peter up from the drowning waves and taking him aboard a little wooden ship. Lord, save me. Lord, save us is fully and finally answered, not in the wood of a boat, but on the wood of a cross. There was another dark night that Jesus needed to be alone. It was in Gethsemane, and he had asked his disciples to do something specific, to pray. He told them something to do, and again, they, they fail, like normal. But he still saved them. He still went to the cross for them. Even though there were people mocking him, and then in this story and from the foot of the cross, he's still saving, still saving in the midst of this darkness, saving in the midst of this chaos, saving in the midst of this dysfunction, saving in the midst of this sin and hurt and pain, this, this place where all around us is brokenness, tumultuous waves and forces, a wind that scares us, that's against us. Jesus saves. He's saving and he's saving. He just keeps on doing it. That's all he knows how to do. And in this, at the end of this story, this account specifically, Remember when I told you at the end of chapter 8, the disciples, the, the disciples were like, who is this that speaks to the wind and the waves? Who is this man? And at the end of this particular story, it's the first time that the disciples actually call Jesus God. When he gets back in the boat and the wind died down because Jesus told it to, then those who were on the boat worshipped him. It's the first time of an account of the disciples worshipping him. Because you only worshipped God. They said, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. They answered their own question from the previous boat. And isn't that how it works with us sometimes? We're like in a storm. We're in the place over here. And we may come to the conclusion, who is this that, that did this for me, that fixed this, that did this? Wow. But then in another instance, we're like, you are God. You have met me here and saved me in this place, this place of death. You have met me here. I could not save myself. I could not overcome the waves. I was fearful of the wind. And you saved me. You reached into my fear and reached all the way through it, all the way through all of the death in my life, and you pulled me out. You saved me. You are the Son of God. That's amazing to me. 
And it encourages me that the disciples were so believing yet unbelieving. And they had him there to watch. They saw these miracles. They saw all of these things happen in the flesh. And they still had little faith. They were still toddlers in their faith. So take heart, toddler. (laughs) You have been saved. You have been pulled up from your deep, dark death. That that's the only place you could have gone. That's the only place your faith will lead you. On your feeble faith. But God, God will save you. God has rescued you. It is already finished. It is already done. You are already saved. That thing that looks fearful to you, he's already saved you from it. He's already forgiven you for it. He's already extended mercy to you for it. He's already done it. And he will be with us. He will be near to us through whatever storms come, smooth sailing storms, whatever. He is there from shore to shore. He will get us to the other side. It may not be pretty or comfortable, And it may be just a little boat. I think of Gilligan's Island and like the SS Minnow. I'm like, Jesus, help us. Can't you get us a bigger boat? He's got us to the other side. We just have yet to see it. But, But he did it. We're saved. And I pray that you would take that somewhere into your heart and mind. And when you fear the wind that you can see and you can feel, that you know, you don't, you don't have to swim to shore. You don't have to fight the wind to get back on the boat, to show your strength. He has reached down and saved you, and he will do it again and again and again. He never t- grows tired of saving you. He never, ever is weary of the storm. He saves you over and over and over again from all of your own attempts to save yourself. He loves you. And he saved you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast. If you've enjoyed this message, would you consider giving to the work God is doing through the sanctuary? You can visit our website, thesanctuaryjupiter.com slash give for more information on ways to give. That's thesanctuaryjupiter.com slash give. Thanks for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast.